And if you're joining us online, we thank you for that also. Time is a big part of our lives. As Benjamin Franklin said, it's the stuff that life is made of. We measure our life by time. I'm 73 years old now. We reference events by time. We can say 9-11, and you know exactly what we're talking about, the time that the towers, the Twin Towers, were destroyed in New York on September 11, 2001. Or if we talk about December 7, 1941, you know that we're talking probably about Pearl Harbor and how it was bombed. And amazingly, it's not just us. Even the Bible references things according to time. For instance, in the book of Genesis, in the 7th chapter, in verse 11, we read, In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, the 17th day of the month, the same day were all the fountains of the great deep broken up, and the windows of heaven were opened. That great event about the flood is referenced by the time of Noah's life. We talk a lot about time. We talk about making time. We talk about buying time. We talk about saving time. We talk about wasting time, losing time. You hear much about time. But most of those things are really misnomers because every day has 24 hours a day, 1,440 minutes, and 86,400 seconds. And in truth, you can't do anything to change that. You can talk about saving time and wasting time and losing time, but that really is just talking about time management. It doesn't add anything to actual time. It doesn't take away one hour or one second or one minute from time. It's all about management. But what will we do when earth time is gone? That's the subject that I want to talk with you on this evening, when earth time is no more. But let me suggest to you, in order to really talk about that, we're going to have to talk a little bit about earth time as it is now. And I want to make several observations about earth time. I want us to begin by pointing out that God reigns over time. And this is evident as you look at the scriptures because, first of all, God set time in motion. We read in the book of Genesis in the first chapter in verse 1 that in the beginning God created the heavens and earth. And that's when time began for the earth and for us, when it began and when it came into existence. And not only that, but you read later in the book of Genesis in the first chapter in verse 14 And it tells us, God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. All of this we have set up where we measure time. That's all God's doing. He set it up so we could measure it and so that time runs as it does. Not only did he set time up and set it in motion, we find out that God gives us each day Most of us have heard and read from the book of Psalms in the 118th chapter in verse 24 when the psalmist said, This is the day which the Lord has made. 
we will rejoice and be glad in it. What it means is we wake up and we have another day because God allows that to happen. He's the one that, that has put time in motion, and he's the one that continues it going. And not only did he start time, but we come to find out that God will end earth time too. In the book of Matthew, you remember that Jesus is talking about, one, the destruction of the temple, and they wanted to know signs about that, and, and he talked about some signs that they could look about and see, particularly the armies of, of Rome encircling Jerusalem. But then he contrasts that with another day, and he says, but of that day, you don't know. No one actually knows when that's going to happen, but my father. And he says it this way, he said, but of the day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels in heaven, but my Father only. That involves the end of time, and it's telling us we don't know when the end of time is coming. Only God knows that. And we have no control over when he will end that time and when it will come to pass. It's for that reason I want to stop and make just a very important point, and that is don't boast of tomorrow. We're not in control of time. We don't have control of time. And so the scriptures tell us for that reason, we should not be boasting of tomorrow. There are a couple of passages where almost the same thing is said, and you see one very closely assembled to the other or associated with the other. But in Proverbs, the 27th chapter, when the writer of Proverbs has just given us these 50 statements that are important and tell us important things, Proverbs 27, 1, he said, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou know not what a day may bring forth. He's just telling us, you're not in control of time. And you can't boast of tomorrow because you don't know that tomorrow's going to be here. You don't know it will be here for you. You don't even know if time will exist at that time. And so when you get to the book of James, he's referring to that same truth. But he says, Go to now, ye that say to day or tomorrow we'll go in such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. He says, whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow, for that you ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or do that. His point being, we don't have control of time, that we just are not the ones that are in control of it, and it's God, and so we can't boast of that. Have you ever thought about the fact that most of the people who die probably don't know they're going to die that day? Uh, think about for a moment 9-11 we talked about a moment ago. Did you know that 2,000, at least according to one uh, web article, at least uh, 2,790, or excuse me, 2,763 people died in the initial attack of 9-11? How many of those woke up that morning thinking, I'm going to go to work, but I'm not going to come home. Uh, that number included 343 firemen and 71 law officers. Uh, while they know there's danger, did they think that day this was going to happen and this would be my last day? And how many other people, they end their day without getting up and thinking that this would be my last day? There's another thing that I want us to, to know about uh, earth time, and that is that God doesn't count time as we do. 
In the book of 2 Peter, in the third chapter, and particularly verse 8, Jesus, or, or Peter writes and says, But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. Now let me suggest to you that he's not given us some super good formula for trying to, to solve all the prophecies. His point is that God doesn't view time as we do. He's not limited by time. You know, if I were to tell you today that a hundred years ago or a hundred years from today, I'm going to do this or that, I have no control over that, and very likely I won't be here in a hundred years. But the Lord could speak and tell Abraham, this is what I'm going to do in the fullness of time. I'm going to, to bring forth a Savior, and all the earth will be blessed by that. And thousands of years can pass, and God can still do that because he's not limited to time, earth time, like we are. And he's not impatient. Uh, we get impatient sometimes if things aren't happening as fast as we want them to happen. Uh, but God's not impatient. He can make the promise to Abraham and then wait thousands and thousands of years until things are just right and then bring forth the Savior into this world. And so we need to understand that God doesn't look at time and is not limited time like we are. There's another thought that I want to, to get to you at this time, and that is don't be deceived by time. Because time has gone on and, and continues to go on, we tend sometimes to think, well, it's just not going to end. In fact, look at Second Peter, the third chapter, in verse uh, three through nine, if you would. Peter's speaking of some people, and he says, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own flesh, and saying, where's the promise of his coming? Talking about the coming of Christ, and, and Christ was here, and he said he'd come again, and now they're saying, where's his coming? And they say, for since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. From the very start, they say, everything's continued as it says. And they're doing that to say, why do you trust that Christ is going to come again? Look, everything always continues as it is. But Peter goes on to say that these people are willing, or they willingly forget that by the word of God, the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of water and in water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. And his point being, everything hasn't continued as it always has. Here they are saying, God has just kind of set these things in motion, everything's going to continue to go. And he says, that's not the way it is. There was a time that God brought an end to what we think of as the world at that time, at least the people of the world and life on the world, by flood. And then he goes on to say, uh, but the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and the perdition of ungodly men. But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. We read in the book of Ecclesiastes in the first chapter, and beginning in verse 4, where he talks about vanity of vanity, all is vanity, saith the Lord. And his point being that 
this is the way life seems to go, that one generation comes and then another generation and another generation and another generation. And we look at all of these generations and we can be lulled into the same sense that these people in Peter is. We can just say, well, everything always continues as it always is and nothing's ever going to change. But Peter's telling us things will change. And that the end is as sure as the word of God. In the book of Second Peter, in the third chapter again, if we continue on to read in verse 8, he said, But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that the Lord, or, but with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, or some count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. And so what he's saying is, yes, there's time that has lapsed, and that doesn't change anything. God has said that the time will come when this world was end, and earth time's going to end, and he says, you just know that that's sure. It's as sure as God's word, he's telling us. And so we know that that will be. So let's ask, though, the question, what happens when earth time is ended? What happens when there is no more earth time? May I suggest to you one thing that happens when earth times ends? Everyone will admit the truth that Jesus is Lord and Christ. We can look at this world that we're living in and, and even look back to the time that Christ was here in this world, and we see that some knew and confessed Jesus as Lord, Jesus himself admitted that he was Lord. Uh, you remember in the book of John, in the fourth chapter, when Jesus has met the woman at the well, and, and they talk about where they should worship and so forth. And then finally she says, I know that the Messiah is going to come. And he spoke to her in chapter 4, and verse 50, or verse 25 and 26, and said, I am he. In other words, you're telling me that the Messiah is going to come. I'm telling you, I am he. And so Jesus is saying, I'm the Messiah. It's amazing to me that some of the religions you have in the world today, like Islam, that they will say, well, Jesus never admitted that he was Lord in Christ, that that's something that we've just thought up ourselves is the idea. No, Jesus tells her, you're looking for the Messiah. I am he, he says. And then you, you think about John 5 where uh, Jesus heals a person and they are talking about that he's healed on the Sabbath. And he, in that passage, says, I'm my father. And he calls God his father. And they knew what he was talking about. He wasn't talking about that God was his father in the same way that we do. He was saying, I am equal to God. And they knew this, and they sought to, to destroy him for that reason. And then you think about John, the 18th chapter, when he's standing before Pilate. And Pilate says, are you... Uh, the king, and he says, I am. And he wasn't just saying, I am a king. He's talking about, I'm the king from heaven. I'm the Messiah. And so over and over, Jesus admitted that he was the Christ. And then you see that his apostles, and, and they also admitted that Jesus was the Christ. Most of us familiar with Matthew 16, how that Jesus on this occasion is talking to his disciples, and he says, who do men say that I am? And it was Peter that says, well, uh, or some of the disciples said, well, you're, some say you're, you're Elijah or, or John the Baptist or somebody else. 
And he said, but who do you say that I am? And Peter speaks up and says, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus admitted that that's the truth. And so here's the apostles. And Peter wasn't just talking for himself. He was talking for all of them, I think, and, and saying what they all knew. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. John writes in John the 20th chapter in verse 30, to say that he did signs and wonders, and these were there to convince us that he's the Christ, the Son of the living God. And many of us know that, and we confess Jesus as Lord and Christ. In fact, everyone who is saved has already made that confession that Jesus is Lord in Christ. Look to the book of Romans in the 10th chapter, and look at two verses that Paul uh, writes to the Romans. Romans 10, and begin in verse 9. Romans 10 and verse 9, and Paul says, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Everyone that has been saved has made that confession that Jesus is Lord in Christ in this age, in this time. Uh, you remember that the eunuch in the book of Acts in the 8th chapter had been to Jerusalem and worshipped as he knew, but then was reading from the book of Isaiah, and Philip joins the chariot and asks him, do you understand what you read? And he said, how can I accept somebody explain it to me? And so uh, Philip preaches unto him Jesus. And it tells us he went a little bit further, and, and the eunuch says, here's water, what does hindeth me to be baptized? And Philip said, if you believe, you can. And then the eunuch confessed, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so we have lots of people that have made that confession. But not everybody's made it. And not everybody wants to make it. Look over to the book of John in the 8th chapter for a moment and look down to verse 24. John 8 and verse 24. And Jesus says, I say unto you that you will die in your sins, for if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sin. He knows that there's some people that won't confess him. And he says, if you don't confess him, then you're going to die in your sin. Again, in Matthew, the 10th chapter, and this time verse 32 and 33, you remember that Jesus there says, if you'll confess my father or confess me before my father, then I will confess you before the father or to the father. But then he says, but if, if you don't confess me to the, to the father, if you deny me, then I will deny you before the father. And so we see how important that confession is. And we see that some and everyone that's saved makes that confession, but still there are lots of people that will not make that confession and, and have no intention of making it. But when earth time is over, they will confess that Jesus is Lord in Christ. Look, if you would, to the book of Philippians in the second chapter. And I want us to look at verse 9 particularly. But uh, this is that place where Paul says we need to have the mind of Christ, that like he humbled himself, we should humble ourselves, have that same mind. But then he says in verse 9, he says, therefore God has highly exalted him because he humbled himself. He says, now God has highly exalted him, giving him a name which is above every name. It means he's given a position that is above everyone on earth, 
that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven, those on the earth, and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so here he is talking about this idea that there is a time when everybody will know that Jesus is Lord and Christ and will make that confession. I've had some that wonder if how we know this is talking about in the future and that judgment. Well, if you look at the book of Romans in the 14th chapter, in verse 10 through 11, you'll see him talking about the final judgment in the same language that he talks here. And so Paul is saying there is a time coming when everyone, when, when this world is over and this earth time is ended, then everyone will come to realize that Jesus is Christ. That's the reason some people will say there will be no infidels in hell. That means they're not infidels on earth. But by the time they end up in hell, they will have come to understand that Jesus was indeed the Christ, the Son of the living God. And they'll know that for sure at that time. And so we need to make sure that we confess the Lord. But when Christ comes again, everybody will confess him. Only problem will be that some people will confess him too late. It won't do them any good. It won't save them. And this is the second thing that I want you to know about when earth time ends is that earth and the works therein will be burned up. Go back again, if you would, to the book of Second Peter in the third chapter. And you can tell from my reading, probably from your prior knowledge, that, that all of this chapter or much of this chapter is talking about when this world ends. And we've talked about in verse 8 that he says uh, that the Lord doesn't count time as we do. And, and then verse 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to effort, not willing that we should, uh, any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And he says, why is the world going on? It's not because God is forgotten that he can't control it. It's because he loves us and loves man and he wants as many as possible to be saved and he's given us more and more opportunity to, to repent. But having said that, in verse 10 he says, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. So it's coming and it's going to be a time like a thief. He's not going to announce it before time. It's going to come quickly. And he says, in which the heavens will pass away with great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are therein will be burned up. Therefore, since all things uh, will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for that and hastening for that coming of the day because uh, of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. So he says, Everything is going to be destroyed that's this in this world. It will end, he says. Um, this should impress upon us the, the vanity of life under the sun. That's just when we're going to realize for sure the vanity of life under the sun. The writer of Ecclesiastes spent a lot of time telling us about the vanity of life under the sun. And I'm of the opinion it really doesn't make any difference whether you're talking about a Christian or non-Christian. Life under the sun is vain. The things that he talks about, death. Christians are going to suffer death just like the non-Christian. The injustices he talks about, 
Christians suffer that just like those that are not Christians suffer. Uh, everything that we have that belongs to this earth, that's what he's talking about, things that are peculiar to this earth. He said those things are vain. And that's the reason, because they are going to end. And here's the passage that tells us they're going to end, saying they're all going to be burned up uh, and, and just melt with fervent heat, he says. That's the reason why we need to make sure that we understand what Jesus is talking about when he says, don't lay up earthly treasures, but lay up heavenly treasures. Any earthly treasure we have is going to pass away. Earthly treasures will be gone when earth time is over with. And so we need heavenly treasures, not earthly treasures, but heavenly treasures. And may I just suggest to you, remember the passage in, in Matthew 6 where he says, where your heart is, there will your treasure be also. And that's what keeps people sometimes from, from wanting heaven because they have no heavenly treasures, and so they're not interested in heaven. Their treasures are all in this earth. And so they're wanting to stay here, and they want to stay as long as they can. And they would, if they could, ignore the idea that this world's going to end. But he tells us, lay up heavenly treasures and not earthly treasures. And so again, an important point that we recognize that when this earth time is over, that this world will end and all of the works therein will be burned up. And we're not going to have anything that is earthly left to it. We need to make sure we have heavenly treasures. Then let me suggest to you furthermore that the opportunity for salvation will have ended when earth time is over. I'm going to give you a number of passages up here and we'll talk about uh, some of them. 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 16 is Paul talking to Christians. Uh, somebody in, in Thessalonica had asked him a question about the Christians that died before Christ come. He said, well, we perceive them or we, we hinder them. And so Paul's really answering their question. But when you get to 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 16, he said, this is what's going to happen. Uh, Christ will descend with a shout with the voice of the archangel, and then they that are in Christ shall be raised, and then we that are alive shall be caught up. Now again, you need to remember, he's talking about only Christians. He's not even considering those that are not Christians at this time. But what I want you to see is that this idea of some being caught up with Christ and some being raised uh, from the dead, that that's associated with the coming of Jesus Christ. Then when you look at John 5 and verse 28 and 29, you'll, you'll see that even though Paul is writing about Christians in particular in 1 Thessalonica saying, or 1 Thessalonians saying, that this is what's going to happen to the Christian, John tells us that this is not unique to the Christian as far as the resurrection, but that all of us will be raised. John 5 and verse uh, 28 and 29, he says that the hour is coming, that they that are in the grave shall hear his voice and come forth. They that have done good unto a resurrection of life, but they that have done evil unto damnation. And so what you see again is, here's one coming, we learn from Thessalonians that that's Christ that he's talking about. That's the one that's going to come, and when he comes, then everybody will be raised. Uh, not everybody will be saved, but everybody will be raised, and those that are with Christ will be caught up in there with him. But then you go on and look further now to 2 Thessalonians, the first chapter, and verse 7 and 8. 
And he again talks about Christ coming and what's going to happen at that time. 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 7 and 8. He says, But know this, that the law... I'm still in Timothy. Let me get back over to 2 Thessalonians. There are some that give you trouble, and he says, but you'll have rest with us. And then he says, when the Lord comes or when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. So here again, you see Christ coming, and you see uh, those that are Christians having rest with him, but those that are disobedient, he says, they shall receive punishment. He said, these shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the power of his glory. So when that time is up and Christ comes, then there are righteous that will be raised from the dead and they'll spend eternity with God in heaven. But the wicked, he says, Matthew the 25th chapter in verses 31 through 46, you have, again, a picture of Christ coming. And then you have the judgment, these people that have been raised are standing before him. And those that have done good, they receive reward, but they that have been evil, uh, they are condemned. And you look at passages like 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 10, and he says that there's a judgment coming, and we shall be judged according to the deeds that we've done in the body. It's all based on what we've done here in this life. That's where our judgment is going to be. And so in John 9, Jesus heals a man that has been lame, and, and people see this. Uh, but Jesus says, and, and they're asking, who sinned, this man or his parents? And Jesus said, neither. Uh, he was born this way that uh, and God's works could be seen. But verse 4, Jesus says, I must work the works of him that sent me while it's day. The night cometh when no man can work. And what he's talking about is that there's an end to our time of working and that judgment will come at that time and we will stand and meet God just how we are. And if we haven't been saved, it'll be too late to be saved at that time. Then let me suggest to you also that when time is no more, we begin that period of endlessness. Terms like forever and everlasting and eternal, that's when that starts. And we sing the song sometime, when we've been there 10,000 years with no less days. Uh, you can't even imagine that, I guess, that we are there 10,000 years, and yet we've got as long to go as we've ever had. That's, we've been there. There's no end to it. It just goes on and on and on and on. And for the righteous, that's one eternal day that he talks about in Revelation 22 and 5. But for the wicked... It's eternal torment. It's continually, day in and day out, uh, torment. When I was a senior in high school, I worked for cleaners for a while before going to school. And I'd go in where they were in the plant, and they knew I was a member of the church, and so one girl would talk to me some about it. And I remember one time she said, oh, well, if I go to hell, said, I, I, I guess I'll get used to it after a couple of days. And I thought, you won't. And I don't know whatever happened to her, but I'm sure 
whatever it is, unless you change, that she's not going to get used to hell. This is eternal torment. And just never, never, never ends. And that's what happens when this world and this earth time ends. We're suddenly brought before God in judgment. And if we're condemned, then we spend eternity in hell. May I suggest to you that we must not boast ourselves of tomorrow. We need to do the important things that we can do today, not delay, because we don't know about tomorrow. We need to remember the vanity of life under the sun and make sure that we're not striving for worldly treasures, but that we're laying up heavenly treasures. And we need to remember that eternity is endless with no second chance, that we have to show ourselves to be righteous and be righteous by God's grace in this life while we have time now, because when earth time ends, it'll be too late. We sometimes sing the song, when the trumpet of the Lord shall sound and time shall be no more, and the morning breaks eternal bright and fair, when the saved of earth shall gather over on the other shore, and the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. I want you to think about that day when earth time is no more, and you think about that song, but you ask yourself the question, will you? When the trumpet sounds and the roll is called, will you be there? You won't unless you've obeyed Jesus and lived the right life here in this world. And so we'd encourage you, if you're not right, to get right with the Lord. If you haven't been baptized, put on Christ in baptism. If you've put on Christ but haven't been true to your calling, then repent of it and start living right and make sure that we live for Christ. You're subject to the invitation anyway this evening. We can assist you. We'd invite you to come as together we stand and sing.